Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at The MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey friends, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to episode 206 of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I chat with former NCAA men's division one and USA referee, Tommy Short. Tommy spent over 10 years officiating some of the best athletes in the world, including guys like John Morant, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James. Tommy now travels around the country speaking with teams and sharing lessons he learned on the basketball court. In addition to speaking, he works as a mental performance coach with executives, sales leaders, and referees. In this conversation, expect to learn some of the lessons that Tommy learned from Kobe Bryant, the importance of living to your own standard, strategies to become more confident, how to let go of the past and focus on the present moment, key lessons Tommy learned on the court of being a Division I basketball referee, what it means to do boring better, how to own your three-foot circle, what it means to change the room, and why you should compare yourself to you yesterday. There's a lot of gold nuggets in this episode. I highly encourage you guys grab a pen and a piece of paper and take some notes. You won't want to miss some of the subtle pieces of advice that Tommy drops throughout this 60 minutes. If you guys found value in this episode, please be sure to leave a rating, review, and share it on your social medias. Your five-star feedback helps the show grow tremendously and helps to bring on more amazing guests like Tommy. Let's go. The MyFit Podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the MyFit Podcast, you can now receive a free Element sample pack with any order by using the link www.drinkelement.com forward slash MyFit. Again, that's www.drinkelement.com forward slash M-I-F-I-T. Go get yours now. The world I come from, it's in an arena with 22,000 people watching. In the world that I come from, it's performing under pressure. It's having to be really good for 38 minutes, but having to be perfect for two, because if you're not, you end up on SportsCenter. Thoughts determine what you want, action determines what you get. 
Whether it's a routine, whether it's consistency, whether it's our process, it's all about action. What are your values? What's your personal standard? What can I do better? How you do anything is how you do everything. Are the habits you have today on par with the dreams you have for tomorrow? If you want to achieve success, do boring better. It takes commitment. It takes doing the things that are boring every single day. That's how we get to the next level. Are we good? All in. Tommy Short, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. What an introduction. Thanks, DJ. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. It's really a pleasure. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think a lot of our thoughts and ideas and passions around mental uh, performance really align, and I'm just excited for the conversation. I think the first place I want to start, I like starting with stories, Tommy. I think people really relate well to stories. I'm curious, as you look back on your career as a referee, what's one memory or story that you can share with us that was maybe a pivotal moment in your career? Yeah. So uh, great question. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, um, I was fortunate in my officiating career to work with the uh, U.S. men's Olympic team um, for a couple of years back in 2012. And for any basketball fans out there, that was um, arguably behind the dream team, probably the best team that uh, we'll ever assemble. You know, the starting lineup was Kobe and LeBron. Carmelo, Chris Paul, Tyson Chandler. And then the second five was when they were all teammates at OKC was Durant, Westbrook, Harden, uh, Darren Williams. And then Blake Griffin got hurt. So they bring in Anthony Davis, who was just the number one draft pick. Um, but two things really stand out. And it's it, to your original question, DJ, when people hear that I used to officiate, right? Like the first question um, or one of the first questions they always ask is like, Hey, what's the biggest game you ever refed, or what you know, so, something along those lines? And people are surprised because my answer that I'm going to give you is it was actually the, a practice that I worked, and people are like a practice, and it was the first USA basketball practice that I had with that team. And two things stood out to me um, from that experience, um, and Kobe's uh, involved with both of them. Uh, not, not shocking. Um, number one, they were maniacal uh, about learning and, and getting better, like maniacal, um, and, and I'll share something specific to that. And then number two, the attention to detail. Um, so I'll start with the first one. So as I mentioned, Blake Griffin got hurt uh, when we were in Vegas training camp. So they brought Anthony Davis in. And um, this was the hardest thing mentally I've ever, it was three hours, closed media, closed to you know fans. It's just us, the team and, and the USA basketball staff. And this is towards the end of practice. We're now doing situational um, sets where it's like, four seconds on the shot clock. And there's only been one time in my officiating career, I don't officiate anymore, that the whistle literally fell out of my mouth because I was in awe of what happened. And so there's a high screen and Anthony Davis catches it kind of in the low post, um, just below the free throw line. And he's going to go up for a two-hand dunk uncontested. And Kobe comes off his man and two-hand shoves Anthony Davis in the back. And Anthony Davis goes flying like 12 feet. And, and DJ your reaction right there was my reaction on the spot. I was like, holy cat. Like the whistle came out of my mouth, didn't blow the whistle. And so the other two referees blow the whistle. Like, it was so egregious that in, if that was a real game, we would have gone to the monitor, but it would have been one of those where I would have thrown Kobe out like on the spot. Like it was that bad. And right after it happened, Kobe now, and I won't repeat the exact language he said uh, in the moment, but he completely, um, undressed Anthony Davis. He completely undressed the rest of the team because he didn't think they were 
going hard enough um, that he was. He was holding everyone to the same standard that he was holding for himself. And I think that's unique in today's world because a lot of people, number one, and I'm sure we'll get into it, don't have their own standard. But number two, they haven't taken the time to live up to their own personal standard. They're always waiting for someone else to kind of push them along. Um, so that that was very eye-opening from, from the maniacal about getting better. And this is towards the end of practice. And he still has the same level of attention and deep, uh, uh, same level of of effort and 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 what he was doing and then number two um the attention to detail again three-hour practice practice is over we now open it they open it up to media now just a little context for your listeners in in no way do officials ever integrate with players at the division one level or nba level with usa basketball it's a little different because we don't we only work the exhibition games. We're never allowed to work our own country. Um, so this USA basketball experience, you're, you're with the team a lot more. Uh, sometimes you might eat with them. Um, so we wrap up, you know, three hours, the rest, the other, myself and the other referee referees want to just go back to the hotel, but we have to wait for the team. And one of the, the staff members was like, Oh, we have to wait until Kobe makes 300 shots. And I was like, Oh, like shoot 300. And he was like, no, 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 make 300. And I was like, oh my gosh, how long is this going to take? Uh, and he sat there, DJ, and I, and I wish, you know, 10 years ago, I had the appreciation that I do now for what I believe at my core and, and, and coach and, and speak about. He was um, Mike Hopkins, who was at Washington. He was at Syracuse for a long time as an assistant. He was at head coach at Washington. I'm not sure where he is now as a coach. He was guarding Kobe in a drenched in sweat. And, and for 45 minutes, Kobe was yelling and cussing him out because he didn't think that Hop was going hard enough. And everything that Kobe did on the right-hand side of the court, he did on the left-hand side. And everything he did with his right hand, he did with his left hand. And that really opened my eyes because there was 11 other professionals there that weren't doing this. And that really showed me, too, kind of the third point, there's never a finish line in, in elite performance. Like in, in the individuals I coach now and, and when I speak, like, that's right, like there's never a finish line. It's always a moving target. And it's, it's this delicate balance of like being grateful, but not satisfied. Like I want to keep evolving and becoming a better version of myself. And that really opened, I didn't appreciate it in the time, you know, at 20, you know, six or seven, however old I was. As I look back, I'm like, man, that was a masterclass in just everything that, that three hour practice alone. So I've got gosh, 10 stories from that day alone that have this stuck with me. But yeah, those are the two that come to mind, just maniacal about learning and, and the attention to detail. You mentioned that not a lot of people have their own standards or don't live by their own standards. What does that mean? Yeah, well, let's let's go back into to story time. So uh, I'm holding up a jersey right now, but a lot of, uh, uh, for your listeners, I'm holding up the jersey number 86. Um, and, and here's why that's significant. So as a lifelong referee, my childhood dream was to be an NBA official and got invited. It was actually the same year, which is kind of ironic as you look back at life. And I don't think anything happens to you. It happens for you. And as I look back at, at that experience, I got invited to try out for the NBA and uh, as a referee and they send you this Jersey. And that's uh, the thing you wear all weekend um, when you're refing. And it, it, it's a job interview from the time you get off the airplane till you leave, how you interact with staff, how you treat people that aren't there. Uh, and as I look back, um, three things that really stand out and it helped me develop my own standard. Number one, I wasn't confident. I might've looked like it from the outside, but I, my self-talk was garbage. Um, confidence is an action. It's not a feeling. You don't wait to feel confident. You don't need prior success to be confident. It's how you carry yourself and how you act 
that's that's where confidence comes from. Number two, my preparation was not where it needed to be. Again, it was it was like the old adage, like I was happy to be there, truthfully. Like I got invited and I'm like, I'm good with that. Like I'm here I am, right? And then number three, I didn't know how to bounce back from adversity on the court, right? Like I I I wasn't able to embrace adversity, which is something near and dear to my heart now. And so those three things, as as any good official. Uh, and hopefully as, as an athlete or as a coach or whatever, your ability to be objective with yourself is is the difference in, in how far you go in whatever pursuit you have in life. And so as I, again, not in the moment, not even in the few years after, but as I really sat back, I'm like, why didn't that happen? And And this isn't anyone else's fault, right? Like taking ownership and responsibility for myself, no blame. It wasn't anyone's fault that I didn't get hired. And I realized those three things, the confidence, the preparation and, and adversity both not expecting it and not embracing it. And I was like, okay, hypothetically, if I would go back, I was like, well, I don't, I don't have a standard. You know, a lot of people, maybe they work for a company or, or whatever, and, and companies have like a mission statement and that's great and values, awesome. I would venture to say 90% of people don't even know what their companies are. But then the scarier part is like, what's your personal standard? So I always ask people, and this is something near and dear to my heart, like what's your 86? Do you even have a personal standard? And so from that day forward, I developed my own personal standard of I'm not waiting for someone to hold me accountable. I, I was just talking earlier today. Accountability to me is a one-way street. It starts and stops with yourself. Before anyone else can hold you accountable, you need to hold yourself accountable. And yeah, a coach can help with that. And there are certain things um, that you can do, but what are you willing to hold yourself to? What kind of standard have you defined for yourself? Do you have any non-negotiables? Do you have boundaries? What's your ratio of saying no to yes on a daily basis? Right. So those were some of the things fueled by, right, this thing that didn't go my way. Only feedback, like like Kainer says, is I, uh, failures feedback. Let me take that now. How can I do things different? So I promise you now, I expect adversity and I embrace it. I'm not surprised. That's one of my favorite questions to ask referees and the executives that I coach. Why are you surprised? Because one of two things is going to happen in your performance. Either you're not going to uh, encounter any adversity. Great. Everyone does well when there's no adversity some better than others. But number two, if there is adversity, like, why are you surprised? It's, it's going to come at some point. But have you done the work beforehand to know what's a plan in place so that when it does come, what are you going to do? Because as an official, and, and I say this in, when, when I go around the country and speak, your ability to overcome little losses throughout your day will dictate the path and trajectory of your success. So in officiating, right, a little loss could be a missed call, your partner's missed call, a coach yelling at you, fans yelling at you. Um, you don't have a poker face when maybe your partner missed missed a call. There's a lot of, but it could be in, in, in a daily basis with the executives I coach. Okay, you, you got an email from your boss. Uh, someone on your team didn't do something that they were going to do. There's all these different things that could go wrong. Your ability to course correct and overcome those little losses and, and how fast, that is going to dictate where you go from there. I want to get into the confidence. And I feel like for a referee, there's a, probably some nights where you're stepping into a big stadium, the place is packed, or maybe you're on the floor with some of the best athletes in the world, or maybe you're a high school or a high school referee, and then you go into the college level or the college level and the NBA level. You're stepping into a new environment or an intimidating environment. Maybe it's a really big game. I could only imagine some of the you know emotions that go through your body. 
Talk to me a little bit about how you improved your confidence and how you help coach other people on confidence. For me, something that I've just learned from Brian Kane, we'll bring his name up quite often here, is your yeah. your confidence comes down to your body language, your focus, and your self-talk. I don't know if you agree with that, but break down how you teach confidence, how you go about it. Yeah. Um, so maybe a little context um, to, to how I got there. So <clears throat> there were some nights, and I, I often use the analogy for some of your younger listeners, they're going to be like, what the heck is a snow globe? But a snow globe is, uh, you know, when it's on a desk and it's, you shake it up the snow. There were some nights I would walk into an arena and it was like the snow globe was sitting there for 20 minutes. And that was my confidence. That was my focus. Like I was able to just mentally, I was able to, to compartmentalize what was going home at, what was going on at home, what was going on at work. Like I was able to just focus in the game. But then there were some nights where it was like that snow globe was shaking from the time I arrived at the arena 90 minutes before the game. And so I don't know where this came from, but towards the end of my career, I was like, hmm, how do I get more nights where the snow globe is settled, knowing that it's never going to be perfect because you've got human beings that are playing and human beings that are officiating and human beings that are coaching. So there's going to be some imperfection sprinkled in throughout. But is there a way that I can go about doing that and having more nights where the snow globe is settled versus, oh gosh, I don't know what it's going to take. So um, how do I teach confidence or like, what do I think about? And I, I totally agree with what Brian says body language and focus and self-talk because I, my, my wife hates it, but I can, I can look at a game and I can tell you pretty much uh, without looking at the score, like who's winning and who's losing based on body language. And that was something I, towards the end of my career, I would walk up to players during a game, right. And just be like, Hey DJ, um, it doesn't matter that the team went on a seven or eight Oh run. Like there's still, you know, 18 minutes left in the game. But if you're going to, you know, you're the captain. And if you're going to walk around with your head down and you're moping and you're in your feelings, like, how do you think your, your team is going to respond to that? Right. Um, so having that awareness to know when things aren't going well, how do you course correct? But, um, to me, confidence is, is your preparation. Confidence is your self-talk. Um, confidence is knowing that, um, I don't need prior success, right? Like if you're waiting, I often say like, if you're waiting for prior success, like for confidence to show up, like you're going to be waiting a long time. So I really focus on on those two components of the the, the preparation and the self-talk in the moment. Not saying like, I'm going to be the best and I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to bring my best. I don't need to be the best. I need to be my best. And if I'm constantly evolving and doing um, better. And so there's a, there's a ton of different things as, as far as specifics, like, um, coming up with prior success that that you've had to to tap into that before every. I mean, I have a whole uh, uh, priming exercise and and things I go through before I get on on podcast interview, before I get on a stage. What what am I inputting into into my mind? What am I saying to myself? Right, I'm ready. I'm prepared for this. I've got this. Right, and then when things don't go wrong, what am I saying to myself? What's my routine when things are spiraling out of control? How fast can I bring that back? to the present moment, because that's the only place that high performance can happen. It's not in the future thinking about what if this goes wrong later? And it's not in the past, like, oh, I just missed those last two calls. And I don't care if you're a referee, if you're a salesperson, if you're uh, a crossfit, like none of that matters. The faster you come back to the present moment, and that's the best thing is like the present moment is always going to happen to us. So the faster you can come back to the present, you know, with breath, with having a routine, a system in place to bring you back, that's going to allow that not guaranteeing success, but will give you the best chance at success. 
high performers. They're they're routine obsessed. They're pattern obsessed. And I I hear you. Your pregame is you know a mental bank account. Come up with a highlight film, things like that before you step onto the floor. Talk to me about what's your pattern or what's your routine when adversity strikes as a referee. What does that look like? How do you get? How do you bounce back and get more focus? Yeah. So I. I think this was originally in heads up baseball with Ken Revisa and I know Kane's got his, and so I was like, how do I, I was kind of doing parts of this, but how do I make it more of a system? And then, um, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, DJ, but I'm like, Oh, I came up with an acronym ref. I, you know, that's what I did for 18, 19 years. And this is something I, I, I coach, um, both referees on and, and the other executives that I, that I work with. So it's, it's ref REF recognize, engage and focus. So for me, and I'll give both examples, one on the basketball court and then how it can work in in today's world. So uh, on the court was, do you recognize in the moment, do you have the awareness to know that things are going South, whether it's two missed calls, whether it's your partner, sometimes it can also be like others, right? Like, do you have the awareness and the, uh, in, internal fortitude to go to DJ who might be my partner. And I know that he missed two calls and I can see that his body language is going down and I know his focus and I know the head talks. going. Do I have the confidence to go over there and say, Hey DJ, that's one call, man. I need you. Like the game needs you. Like you're better than that one call. Like put it behind you because like Seneca says, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of stoic philosophy. Don't trip on something that's behind you. It already happened. There's nothing we can do about it. The faster we can accept the reality and move forward, the, the better off we can be. So R, recognize. Do you have the awareness to know? E, engage. So on the court, and I got this from Evan Longoria, DJ, I always knew at every court um, there was going to be two shot clocks. So I used the top left-hand corner of either shot clock. And what that did, that did two things. One, physiologically, I have to, if I'm going to look at the left-hand top of the shot clock, at the other end of the court, whichever end of the court I'm on, I have to, like Kane says, I have to change my body language. My shoulders have to go back. My head has to go up. I have to, I don't have to, I get to. Um, let me catch myself there on language. Um, I, ha- I get to look up and see the top left-hand shot clock. That's me engaging and knowing, okay, I, I always have that focal point. Let's move on to the next play, right? Uh, and then I'm going to do a quick, because this down-regulates your physiological state. Two inhales. Uh, two quick inhales and then uh, a slow exhale. So no one would know I'm doing this on the court, right? I, I'm, I'm recognizing that things aren't going where they need to be. I'm engaging in the top left-hand sh- top of the shot clock. I'm using my breath. I'm changing my physiological state and then focus. So I would have a, a number of mantras on the court, like, so what, now what? Like, Mr. Call, here we go, right? That would all take maybe five, six seconds. And obviously I'm not doing it during a live ball when we're running down the court, but whistle blows, there's a foul or we're at the free throw line or timeout. I'm standing in the middle of 15,000 people who are all yelling at me. Half of them hate me a little bit less because the call just went in their favor, but they all hate me. Uh, so what are you doing in that two minutes, right? Look up and read banners. That was another trick I had for mindfulness to bring me back to the present moment because multitasking is not possible. So how, how, if I'm looking up and reading stuff around me, I'm in the present moment. So REF. Now let's put it in the, into the real world because I'm not refing anymore, but this is something I do multiple times throughout the day. It's the same formula, same system, REF, recognize, engage, focus. R, do I have the awareness? Do I recognize that things aren't going where they need to be? Whether a client tells me something, my wife, something happened with the kids at school, whatever, myriad of things, right? Do I recognize that? Engage. So now I have my um, personal values and, and um, course statement uh, on my wristband. So I will pull this. That's my way to engage. I'll still do the double inhale, slow exhale, because that's going to downregulate 
my, my body. And then F, focus. Um, I, I might use so what, now what, or I, I've got this. I was, I was meant for this and, and bounce back. So that's using the officiating world, but then bringing it into the real life of how I, how I coach it today and how I still use it. Um, again, whether you're a coach, a referee, a NBA referee, a, a sales executive uh, or executive leading a, a team, it, it's applicable in any arena. And Tommy, it really doesn't matter what the process is. You just need to have a process. I think with the people that fall behind are the people that haven't thought about this. And there's probably 90%, probably 95% of athletes haven't thought about this idea. So the system is really whatever works for you, but the RDF. So, so for you, just to recap here, so it's looking at the shot clock, taking your breath and then your mantra. So what now, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Use that on the court. Um, When I was, uh, did this endurance event this past summer, um, 29029 and you're climbing the equivalent of Mount Everest in 36 hours. A pretty grueling thing. I tell people it's the hardest thing physically I've ever done, uh, but it was only 10% physical. So let that sink in. Like it was 90% mental. And like my mantra there was um, tomorrow me loves today's pain. And so that was what I kept repeating to myself. Right. And I had a whole game plan that I went into it with, with the the two other guys and um, not verbalizing anything negative and how we're going to use adversity as fuel and never waste suffering and using the tops of the trees uh, for gratitude. I mean, so many different things. I had a, I had a plan. I had a plan for my plan, right? But that was my mantra in, in the moment, right? When things got hard. Because if you think about it, right, DJ, and you know this better than, than most in, in, in the athletic space is like the version of you tomorrow is going to appreciate what you're going through today. And the pain you go through today is not going to pay off today, right? No one's going to go to the gym and lift a weight once for 20 minutes and expect, well, GQ should be calling at any point to get me on the cover of the magazine. It's like, what are you going to do every single day, right? And so the version of you tomorrow will appreciate the version of you today. So tomorrow me loves today's pain was what I I kept repeating in training uh, leading up to the event. And then when I was on the mountain, I said that out loud more, more times than, uh, than I can remember. As I dive into mental performance coaching myself, Tommy, the, the one of the biggest things and the most simple things I think I've taken away from studying under Brian and reading the books and doing all these things is mental performance to me really comes down to playing offense. It comes down to playing offense in your mind and in your life. It's living your life by design, not by default. It's talking to yourself, not listening to yourself. It's taking control of your own life. It's playing offense. And as a offensive, former offensive player, I really resonate with that, being on the offensive side of things. When you think about that, what comes to your mind about being an offense, not defense and being ahead of the game, not just being a victim and, and whatever happens to me, I'll just deal with it rather than having a little more control. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, um, I mean, so much gold and, and what you just said there, uh, a couple things come to mind, right? Uh, the first is, you know, there's a lot of different definitions out there for mindset or, you know, mental toughness and all that. I, I, I use one word perspective. Like what's your perspective on any situation? Cause like, I'll give you an example again, for your listeners, I <clears throat> broke my hand, uh, it's been about, I think four weeks ago today, I had surgery and everything. And you know, what most people say when they see it is like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I understand like where they're coming from. They're genuinely like, oh, like, I don't see it that way. Like it, it happened. I moved on. I embrace it, but it's all perspective, right? Um, I'll, I'll share a story, a, a quick story on, on perspective and, and, and offense. So when I was traveling, um, a lot with officiating, I used to, um, 
have the you know medallion bag tags uh, on my bags as like a symbol of like hey look at me i've acquired like all these miles which has been great just for trips with my wife and everything else but i'll never forget dj i was in a, it was my last year in officiating and i knew i hadn't told anyone but i knew in my heart um this was probably going to be the last year and i'm on an elevator in dallas at a, at a marriott and i get on i'm on the elevator and a gentleman walks on and he sees my medallion bag tag and he goes oh my gosh like to him this was like you know, like seeing the Grand Canyon, he was like, oh my gosh, like all that status. Like, and he said, it was one of those things, like he was talking and it was almost like for 10 seconds, I blacked out and I let him finish. And I said to you, that's status and a symbol of some achievement to me. It means I'm away from my six month old daughter. It's not that cool. And so when I look at mindset, I look at perspective, how, your ability to reframe things and your ability um, to use this as a weapon, right? Like to use this as a tool, because again, it's not going to guarantee success, but it's going to give you the best chance at success. And that's in, 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 in officiating, like that's what I wanted to do. I always, you know, we had systems specific to officiating and, and positioning of like, I want to put myself in the best position to make this call. And that's, that's what I do now in coaching and in like, I want to set myself up for success, whether you're an athlete or whatever you're doing an executive, like put yourself in a position, right. And, and all the things you listed and, and, talk less and, or, um, listen less and talk more and all that. One of the simple ex exercises, you know, is, is like the control don't control, right? Like, and like, even with the executives I work with and, and I'll use this sometimes in like training that it's the most simple thing, but to your point, no one's taken the time of listing out, you know, on the left-hand side, uh, all the things you don't control, right. You know, for official, you know, missed calls, your assignments, the weather, uh, coaches, social media, like, for whatever you do on a day-to-day -day basis, list all those things out. And then on the right-hand side, list everything you can control. And you'll hear a bunch of different things. And at the end of the day, I don't know if you're able to see it, DJ, mm -hmm. but up there, I've got an ace of diamonds. Because at the end of the day, I think you only control three things, your attitude, your confidence, and your effort. A lot of other things will fix, fit into there. But ace of diamond, because you know diamonds, it takes pressure. Diamonds aren't, they, they don't just pop out. Like it takes some grinding. It takes some effort. It takes some attitude. Like diamonds go through a lot to come out on the other side. So to me, I, like that's the only thing we can control, but how much of the time do people complain and I'm the victim? And it's like, are you complaining about something you don't control or control? Because when a client comes to me, that's the first thing I like, if they say something and I'm talking about like, I'm fortunate enough to work with a lot of successful individuals. The first thing I say is, is this something you control or not? Because if you don't control it, I don't have time for it. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you. And if it's something you control, but a lot of times people aren't complaining about their attitude. People aren't complaining about their effort. It's usually, well, DJ said this, or my boss did this, or okay, how are you going to respond? Right? It's like uh, the last thing I'll share there is, um, I, I touched on it briefly, but I have a process every time before I speak, before I coach, or before I go on a podcast. It's about 20-minute process. I, it's a non -nego like I will do that before everything. And one of the last things I do is is just wherever my mind takes me, but I'll, leave, I'll read a few pages of the book Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And right before surgery, the last thing I read, it's, it's one of my favorite quotes is, for those of you that don't know, it's Marcus Aurelius' journal from several thousand years ago. <clears throat> and he has a section in there and he talks about, uh, this is unfortunate that it happened to me. And he corrects himself. He said, no, it is fortunate that it happened to me because most other people would have crumbled or, or faded, but I have remained unharmed by it. And like that, like, to me, like that's a paragraph that summarizes. Like it's not unfortunate that I broke my hand, 
most people would let this like ruin the rest of their 2022. And I don't say that from like to impress you standpoint, but to impress upon you, I work at this every single day. I'm spending time, like I'm investing in myself from a mental standpoint because I've seen the benefits. I've gone through the other side of not having confidence, of not being prepared, of not embracing adversity. And yeah, that's still going to come. I think the biggest misconception is people think like elite performers or, you know, Navy SEALs, like elite basketball players or executive, like everyone has self-doubt and the fear. It's just how much time you spend there. And the higher up you go and the more you work at this, you have the awareness to realize when that happens and how quickly you can bounce back. Uh, one of the things uh, I'm going on a tangent here now, cause you got me fired up DJ, but I didn't, are you a golf fan by chance? A little bit. Okay. So I didn't even, I'm a golf fan. I didn't even know this was a thing. So the PGA tracks um, bounce back scores. Are you familiar with this? No. Um, so the, so the PGA has a score. Um, it's called their bounce back score. So it's defined as when you get a bogey and then follow it up on the next hole with anything under par. Oh, okay. Cool. So I go out and I get a bogey on a hole and then the next hole I come back and get a birdie. So I was like, uh, let, let me dive into this and see if there's any correlation between the leaders and the bounce back score and the money leaders. You know what I found out over the last 10 years, DJ? Hmm. Guys that were in the top 20 in bounce back score, like 85% of the time, were in the top five in money leaders. So what does that tell you? Everyone gets bogeys on the, even on the PGA, right? Like the weekend golfer who goes out and doesn't, like he hits a bad drive and like starts, throw, I, that was me, so I can relate, and like expect something. Different. Like, no, Steph Curry's the best shooter in the NBA and he only makes 40% of his shots. So you miss a shot. I used to tell guys this all the time when I ref, you miss a shot. Like what? Like, what do you think you're going to make every shot? So what? Like move on, right? Easier said than done. I get it. But like, that just shows like the importance of bounce back. And like I mentioned earlier, like overcoming those little losses, how, but you got to work at it. It's not just, it's not something you do for five minutes one day and think like, okay, I'm good. I've been doing this for five or six years now. And it's like, like the better I get, the more I do of it. Right. Absolutely. I think another big part is when you talk about elite performers, I think about people that can master the mundane and you have an awesome uh, quote of do boring better. And for me, I think it's even taking a step further. I think elite performers can make the bore, the longer they can make boring, not boring is the highest chance for success. Being able to do boring for a long period of time is tough for a lot of people. They lose focus. They get distracted. Talk to me a little about do boring better and why that's so pivotal. Yeah. Um, you're right. And you, you touched on a good thing. It's starting out with the boring things and then back to reframing or perspective, you realize there comes a point and there was a point for me in the shift of, you know, for, for me as an official, it was watching film for hours on end, like to the point where my wife was like, how many times are you going to watch that game? <laughs> uh, eating right, nutrition, uh, focusing on sleep, um, getting in the rule book, the case book, right? Like working on all those things to most, those are the boring things. And there becomes a shift different of when it gonna, when it's going to come for everyone. But there comes a shift to your point. It starts out as the boring things. And it's still boring from outside um, people who are looking in and being like, why is Tommy doing that? Why is DJ spending so much time on that? Do boring better than the boring things don't become boring. And you realize that by doing the boring things better, that's really how you get ahead. Because there's days I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to work out or I don't want to uh, I don't want to meditate today, but then I'm like, ah, I know everyone else is feeling this, but most people will give into that. And I know 
that's a human nature thought to have and thoughts are things no different than AirPods or a mouse or a TV screen. Everyone has them. They're not special to you and they're like clouds. They're going to pass by, right? So once you start to understand that and really dive into that and know that like, we don't always control the thoughts that come in, but you control where the conversation goes. You control what comes out of your mouth. And so for me, yes, it is doing the boring things and I, and I love doing the boring things. And then there becomes a shift of it's not boring anymore. And you realize those are the, the things. There's no silver bullet in life except one thing, and it's consistency. That's the only silver bullet in life. Consistently showing up, consistently doing the boring things better that then don't become boring. And you realize like, this is what I love. Like I, there's no work-life balance for me. Like I live, eat, breathe. Like I, I could talk about this all day and not not get bored of it. So for me, um, it's just something I realized like by doing the boring things better, there comes a shift. They're not boring anymore. And then that's how you get ahead. Yeah. And I think the problem is people, like you said, people get bored with the boring things, sleeping eight hours a night, eating this, you know, uh, meditate, do, doing the very simple things. And they want to think that maybe Tommy, it's, it's gotta be something more flashy than this. It's gotta be more complex in reality, man. A lot of this stuff is simple and it's boring. And that's maybe that that's the disheartening part of it. People think that it's gotta be more flashy than this. Yeah. You know, um, so let's unpack that a little bit. And I'm curious, I I've never been you, you know, John Gordon, he's got like that one word. I've never done that. Uh, I've ne- just, I've heard of it, never really thought of it. Um, and I was meditating the other day and this, this kind of thought come to me and this will, uh, I want to unpack this because this has been a, um, this is what I've been doing with my clients over the last two weeks now. Um, so my word, I got to remember how to pronounce it. Ectasis. You know what that means, DJ? Mm-hmm. It's when a snake or a reptile sheds their skin. Okay. And so I'm going to unpack why people don't, do that. I think a lot of people think about like, oh, I, I, I want to do this or I want to achieve this, but they never take the time to consider what, what is that going to take, right? So I often ask in this exercise, I came up with four questions of, of asking people like, what is it? What does the next version of you look like? Like get really clear on that. Are you kind of clear or are you really clear? Because Kind of clear is, well, I kind of want to get up at 5 a.m. I kind of want to eat better. I kind but when it comes time to do it, my litmus test is if I call you at 3 a.m. and wake you up out of a deep sleep, can you recite three things? Your personal philosophy, your standard, and your boundaries. And that's something I work with each of my clients on, like defining those. But what's that next version of you look like? Are, is, it, is it kind of clear or is it really clear? And then how are you going to get there? Right, and then what's what's the um, what's the one self-limiting belief that you need to leave behind in 2022? So, again, I've never done it. Um, I mean, ecstasis. Okay, just wanted to make sure I get that right. And it's the shedding of skin. And so that's my focus next year. What what habits do I need to leave behind? What this is going to make some of you uncomfortable. What friends do I need to leave behind? Who's no longer serving me? I think time management is a very important part of evolution. But I think where I've gone now, DJ, is energy management. Like, yeah, I'm still a big believer in time management, but I am crystal clear on the people, places, and things that both bring me energy and drain me of energy. And there's not that you need to have uncomfortable conversations. It may come to that, but I know there's people in my life right now that are not going to serve me to go where I'm going in the future. Right. But becoming really clear. And, and that those are a couple of the questions that I was working through. Um, the, the clients that I, that I coach of like, what do you need to leave behind? What do you need to shed? Snakes, 
from from my research, they shed like anywhere from like two to twelve times a year. Like, when was the last time you shed a bad habit? When was the last time you shed someone that is bringing you down? Right. So, like for me, my focus next year. A lot of times, even when I work with with successful people, it's like, what what can I add? No, 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 no. What what are we going to get rid of? We're going to get rid of a heck of a lot more before we start adding things. I don't. We don't need to. If you've never gotten up at five a.m., let's just let's stop eating food before bed or let's stop watching TV to, to give us a chance. Let's not just go from like waking up at seven 30 to five, like you're going to do it once and then not do it and become frustrated. So that's really my focus as I move into to next year is like, what do I need to shed? What, what version of me do I need to lo- leave behind? What beliefs are no longer serving me? Maybe they serve me this year, but what beliefs do I need to leave behind in 2022? So to me, that's where my mind goes of like, what do we need to leave behind? I love the idea of self-limiting beliefs. We've done a lot of conversations on this podcast about the stories in your head. And I think when I think mindset and I think performance, those that's got to be one of the main things that comes up with people is the story in their head. And I've been fortunate enough to talk to some really high level um, thinkers and authors in this field and talking about, well, how do you unpack some of that stuff? I'm curious from a mental performance standpoint, Tommy, talk to me about how do you unwind somebody's self-limiting beliefs? What does that look like? Yeah. So I, <clears throat> anytime somebody asks me like what I do, I never answer the question. And this, just to give you a little context, I never answer the question like, oh, I'm a coach or I'm a speaker. I say, I, I, I do what I believe and I believe in my soul, in my you know being of two, of two things. Number one, and it's where the, the name of the company came from, Think Better, Perform Better. When you think better, you perform better. But when it comes time to perform, you don't have time to think, regardless of what your performance is. And we all have a performance, whether you're in the boardroom or the basketball court or, or in a CrossFit gym, everyone's got a performance. So when you think better, number one, you perform better. Number two, the most important story that you will ever tell is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And so there's so many things to unpack there, but you know, it all, it all goes back to like, you know, the stories we were told as little kids, um, whether it was parents or um, friends that, you know, for whatever reason, the, the people that, you know, loved on them and lived into their life told them they couldn't do something. So then they turn around and, you know, you say, oh, I want to do X, Y, and Z. You, you can't do that. I mean, there's only one word in my house. I frankly don't care if my kids cuss. I will run from upstairs, downstairs if I hear the word can't. That's the number one word that's not allowed in my house is I can't do How do you know? Like, how do you truly know? Um, and so it's, it's just unpacking because we weren't born with any beliefs. So everything that we believe right now, like I, I, I want your listeners to really like stop if you're driving, well, maybe not if you're driving, but like play this back, everything, every single thing you believe, whether you realize it or not, you chose to believe that consciously or subconsciously, whatever you believe in your life right now. And so, oh my gosh, that's, that's terrifying. No, that again, perspective, reframing. That means whatever you are choosing to believe right now, you can choose to believe something else if you want, if you want to challenge that belief. And that's, I mean, you can boil my coaching down you know, to, to two or three things. I'm going to challenge your thinking. I'm going to question your answers because I don't, what you tell me on the surface is usually most of the time that, it, and I'm, I'm not here to give you answers. I'm not like, I'm here to ask tough questions like, and challenge those self-learning beliefs. Um, and, that, and that's the thing that, that I've realized and I have to work on mine too, right? Like one of the questions I often say too, like what I'm coaching a lot of the times are like the things I need to work on and they're, and they're the things that I'm working on with my coach, right? Like I'm not above having a coach. Like I'm asking, you know, having conversations with people and, and giving them the experience of coaching, but it's like, 
how can I ask someone to invest in themselves when I'm not willing to make the investment myself? Uh, so yeah, I mean, a lot to unpack with self-loving beliefs, but once you understand you aren't born with anything and everything that you believe right now you're choosing, I think it's empowering. I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, I, I don't believe I can do this. I don't believe, uh, okay, so let's change right now if you want, right? I want to step back into the referee arena. One of the things I learned when I was uh, researching you, Tommy, was that, you know, I'm an NFL fan and I know that from week to week, the crews in the NFL, the, the officials, they travel together usually from game to game and they get to know each other really well, even from year to year. But in the NBA, that's a lot different. You could have what you said, I think, was that you could have different crews every single night. You may not see the same referee throughout the entire year. Talk to me a little bit about how does mindset, mental performance, leadership, how does all this stuff relate when you're working on a uh, high pressure situation with new people day in and day out? Walk us through what does that look like in life? What does it look like throughout the basketball court? Yeah. Uh, so like we were talking about a little bit before, once you take a step back and realize <clears throat> specific to the officiating world, and, and we can sp speak to non-officiating world, but once you realize like everyone's bringing and I'm saying specifically to the other two officials, like they're bringing their own self-learning beliefs into the game. They're bringing their own experience, good and bad, right? And there's really no such thing as good and bad. It's just, it is what it is. And it's, it's your label or your perception on what that thing was. But so once you understand from a human psychology standpoint that everyone's kind of bringing their own stuff into the game and, and not, not judging, not, not blaming, but realizing like everyone's kind of, everyone's going through something, but it's the story that you tell yourself, you, you come from a more empathetic um, point of view. I mean, uh, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point, but like I have four core values that I want to live each day. And the first one's empathy. Um, I'm sure we'll touch on that in a minute. But once you understand that, that people are bringing their own things into the game, into um, the sales call, into like everyone's going through something and, and asking questions, understanding what's, what's going on in their head. And so when I when I made that switch and understood, like, not everyone's going to believe. I mean, the majority of the world doesn't think that, uh, like, mental performance or mindset is is real. Like, it's kind. Of, I kind of look at it as like nutrition from like twenty or thirty years ago. Like twenty years ago or so, if you would have said like, "Oh, I hired a nutritionist," they'd be like, "What are you hiring a nutritionist for?" Right? And so now it's like, "Oh, I hired a mental performance coach." Well, what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. I want to get better. Right? Like, to me, therapies in the past, coaching is in the future. Like, where do you want to go? Right? Um, so once I understood, I'm not going to project everything th of my beliefs onto someone else. And it's okay if you don't believe that, but let, let's have a conversation. Like, wh where do you come from? What, what's the story that you're telling yourself? And so I knew, you know, back to the dynamic, um, portion of your question, like I knew coming into every game, like we would get our schedule and I would see, um, two names on there. And I'd be like, I don't want to spend any more time with those guys other than, the time from when we get to the arena or not. But then there would be other guys that'd be like, oh, DJ and Dan. Oh, I'm going to call them. When are you flying in? Let's share a, a, a rental car. Like, let's stay at the same place. Let's, you know, so it's just this interesting dynamic. But it's, I, I always told my crews of like, hey, <clears throat> I would even say this. It made some uncomfortable. You don't have to like me, but like when we get on the court, we're on the same team. So you got to put all the other BS behind us in the locker room because when we go out there, nobody can know that like we don't like each other. Because we're the three of us are on an island for the next two hours, and so yeah, it's an interesting dynamic and in like having to understand um, how someone thinks and how they operate, and you don't want to step on toes, and you don't want to project, but understanding people like like I shared with you before we we hit record, like as I look back at my officiating journey, I went through that 
so that I like I can use that to my benefit in coaching and speaking because it was a PhD in human development, how to how to be decisive, how to be a great teammate, how to have tough conversations, um, how to prepare, how to be objective with your performance and evolve and and how to become a better version of yourself. Um, how to uh, go back and review things, how to uh, become really good at time management, like all of those things, they translate into whatever you mm-hmm. want to do in life. And so all of that taught me like how to work well with people who might not like you and you've got a job to do and you need to do it. Doesn't mean you need to be best friends, but when we get on the court, like we got to, we got to be the best team on the court better than the other two. And it sounds, so it sounds like what I'm hearing, uh, Tommy, is that a lot of it comes from asking questions and getting to know the people first, and then we can start to come together, have some more empathy. Is that what you, is that, is that the advice that you're giving is that when you're, maybe you're in a new team, maybe you're in a new company, start with asking questions. I would say start and end with questions, right? Like I think people are, when I talk to people about like the coaching that I do, like I would say I talk about 20% of the time. Uh, and 95% of the time when I do talk, it's, it's asking questions and getting really clear with the questions. Cause once you understand, um, that all humans have, uh, are all, all humans are ambivalent, meaning like they want both things like at the same time and they're kind of pulled and it's like, okay, like, let's talk through that. Like what's going, like, what's going through, like what led you to that? Like what's going on? Um, obviously in certain environments you have more time to ask questions, but all I do when I coach is, is ask questions. And ask and and give context to why you're asking questions, right? Like, why did you wear that? DJ can come off very um, uh, like threatening, or versus like, hey, I'm curious, DJ. Like, when when you got dressed this morning, like, what was what was going through your mind that you chose a black shirt today? Like, trying to accomplish the same thing, but like the difference between using why or what and how, right? So just I, I love questions and like learning how to ask questions and 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 keep sharing context so that people don't feel like, Hey, you're, uh, you're like on the witness stand. Cause there's an art to it of, of asking questions. But at the end of the day, all like coaching to me comes down to asking questions and getting the other person, like, think about it <clears throat> at, at our core, all humans want a sense of autonomy. Like the chance of me telling you DJ to do something versus me asking you questions, helping you get really clear on why you might want that. What are the benefits? What are the costs? What is, what, what kind of, what, who do you need to become in order to do that? Asking that. And then at the end of the day, letting you decide because the chances of you following through and doing something are much higher. If it comes out of your mouth versus, Hey DJ, I came up with a plan for you. Here it is. Well, it's like, well, you don't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I, well, Let's ask some questions. I'll I'll try to understand like where you're coming from, like where you want to go, and hey, maybe I might be able to help you get there, but maybe I might not be able to. And I'm okay with that if I'm not the one that's able to help you get there. But it's all everything is about questions. That's right. Some of your standards I want to go through. So we talked about do boring better. Another one is own your three foot circle. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So that's uh, that's an officiating um, term. So there, you know, during a, a, a game you know, high, I think anywhere from, you know, 150 in the college game, 150 possessions, and there might be three to five decisions you might have to make, whether, you know, blow the whistle, not blow the whistle. So I wasn't a math major at Dayton, but, you know, 500, just four to 500 decisions a day, right? And so when, again, everyone, most good referees can referee when things are going well. What do you do when things aren't going well? How do you bounce back? Are you resilient, right? And so for me, it was, um, we, we say in the officiating world, like bring everything like, super close to you. 
to the fact of like stick your hand out and if the play is like th this is more of like a figurative but like literal too if the play is outside of your hand meaning like if it's outside of a three-foot circle like don't don't blow the whistle so it really brings your focus in you're not worried about what's dj doing over there and what's what's tyler doing over like no it's like bring it really close because when we get in trouble in officiating it's when we start uh we call it like extending our primary so now i bring it into like the business world or real world like are you worried about what other people are doing and you don't have like everything that you're doing like tightly knit and then it to me it's two parts so one like owning what you're doing but then two like being very careful in like the words you say being very aware of what you're allowing to come in from a social media from a news standpoint from negative people around you from from things that drain your energy own that three-foot circle so wherever that circle goes like you own that circle you get to decide what comes in you get to decide how you respond i mean one of my my favorite quotes from from victor victor frankel who for um it's the number one book i i hand out to to clients is a man's search for meaning um and so for those that don't know he was a doctor was in concentration camps his, he had a book in his in his jacket and his whole life work was taken away from him and and went through some atrocities and my favorite quote is you know everything can be taken from a man but the last of the human freedoms is one's ability to choose in any set of circumstances. So to me, that is like own your three foot circle, whether you're an official, whether you're a CrossFit coach, whether you're a speaker, whether you're a CEO, you own your three foot circle. You decide what comes out of your mouth. You decide what, what's your attitude. You decide what your effort's going to be. You decide your self-talk, right? Like nobody else decides that for you. Um, so to me, like owning that three foot circle, like wherever you go and, and reminding yourself, like, I'm owning this three-foot circle because the truth is you own your three-foot circle. That's giving your teammates a better chance to succeed. That's giving the people that you work with a better chance to succeed. But if you're not owning your three-foot circle, stop worrying about what someone else is doing. Like own yours and then help, right? So that's got it from the officiating world, but it's 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 one of the standards that I uh, live in, in coaches. Like own that three-foot circle, man. And how true is it too? If you start looking outside of your three foot circle, you're looking at your partner and in his area of the court. How quick are you going to be to miss something that happened right in front of you? And the tape doesn't lie, right, Tommy? You go back and watch that tape and just go, how did I miss that? It was right in front of me. Well, I was too busy looking at somebody else and what they're doing. And in a world full of social media, you know, comparison is a thief of joy. How many times do we get caught up? We lose our focus. We get distracted, not because we're bored of the process, but instead we're looking elsewhere, trying to find the shiny object or comparing to somebody like our neighbor or somebody else at the gym. Yeah. Uh, I mean, spot on. Right. We, I mean, you might be a, I might think you're an official from, from the lingo you're dropping of the, the tape never lie. You know, we would always say beat the tape, right? Because at the end of the, at the end of the game, when it used to be like CDs when I started or VHS tapes and then it went to CDs. And, you know, when I re retired a couple of years ago, now you get it on your iPad when you leave the arena. But it's like that tape is the tape when it's at the end of the day. So beat the tape, right? Like that's not going to lie. The tape is the most objective thing. You could tell yourself, oh, I, you know, I did great or the tape never lies and so like beat the tape right um and yeah it's like you're you're not always going to be 100 percent focused but you're again your ability to bounce back and and have something in place to know that oh my gosh okay my focus is not where i need to be how do i get back to the present moment right like whether it's you know you're maximizing your reset button your breath is the fastest way to come back to the present moment so like using that as a reset button is a great way and there's so many different you know six to eight or double inhale exhale like i mentioned earlier but like your breath is the fastest reset button to bring you back into the pre present moment because we're all going to lose focus are you aware and what are you going to do about it that's really what's going to set you up um, to 
and one of the other ones, I don't, I don't know if you're going to get to it, but I'm a big believer in YVY, you versus yesterday, right? You, you, comparison is a thief of joy. I'm not, I, I'm not opposed to comparison, but you better be comparing it to what you did yesterday. Not to what DJ did, not to what Ben did, not to what Tyler did, not, not to what anybody else did. What did you do yesterday? And it's not to come from a jame, a jame, a judging or like shaming, but it's like having the awareness to know, okay, that wasn't my best, not the best. I, I, I don't want to be the best. I want to be my best. Because if I'm my best, I'm going to show up different and I'm going to be in tune. Like <clears throat> one of the questions I, it's the number one question I ask myself more than any other question is how do I want to show up right now? How do I want to show up right now? And I use um, door frames as the trigger. So if you think about it, right? Like when you wake up, you go from, you know, your bathroom to the, or your bedroom to the bathroom to brush your teeth. And then you leave the bathroom and then you leave, like, uh, then you get in the car. Maybe if, even if you don't, if you work from home, you're passing like your office to, to another room. Like, I don't know how many door frames you're going to cross, like 50 to a hundred a day, maybe more. You're going into Starbucks, you're going to lunch. Like, so I use that door frame as a trigger of how do I want to show up right now? Like, how do I want to show up? I am very, and it's something I continuously work on. How do I want to show up right now? Because how I show up is going to dictate everything else, right? It kind of goes into change the room. I know that every room I go into, whether it's a virtual or um, I'm on a stage speaking or I'm coaching one-on-one, how I show up matters. And I think oftentimes we don't take the time to think about how we show up. We don't take the time to, oh yeah, my energy is, you're not always going to feel 100%, but if you feel like 86%, bring the best 86% that you have. If you feel like 60%, bring the 60%. Don't mail it in because you don't like, so how you show up matters. And that's the number one question that is, you know, you mentioned earlier, listen less, talk more. Like that's the thing I'm saying more, even out loud to the point where people probably think I'm a little nuts. And I am because I went on a court for 18 years and got yelled at for two hours. So there's a, <laughs> there's a couple of screws loose, no doubt. But yeah, how do you, I, I, I use that all, a lot in coaching and, and even speaking like, are you even aware, right? Like, how do you want to show up right now? It matters when you come home and are you able to leave what happened at work behind and how are you going to show up with your kid? Are you going to let that bleed over? I mean, there were times I stepped on the offici- on the basketball court and I wasn't aware of that. And I was bringing in stuff from work. I was bringing in stuff from home. I was br- bringing in stuff from the kid. How do you want to show up? And you have, again, the choice, right? Back to what Victor Frankl says, that is the one thing that no- nothing can be taken away from you. If you're breathing, you have the choice to decide what you want to do. So I'm very hyper aware of how I want to show up in every situation. Yeah. Something I think I would add to that, Tommy, is the, is being aware of how you show up, but then also knowing that showing up starts when you get out of your car. So for you, right when you get out of the car, it's game day, right? You got fans there. You got people watching you. You're on the court. Hey, maybe it's timeout, right? The game's not going on. The TV might not be out, but there's fans to watch. There's always people watching. I think there's a powerful lesson in, yes, you have to show up when you walk through the door, but sometimes depending on who you are, where you are, uh, it might be before you walk through the door. It might be when you open your corridor, when you step in the parking lot, how you greet the people you're walking into the, the school or the stadium with. Sometimes you might not even know it, but eyes are always on you. I mean, that's a great, I mean, we used to talk about too, like, you know, we, we traveled a bunch, right? And so like, are you, now I wasn't as, as some of my friends and some of the, the, the guys that I work with now, uh, officials, certainly not as recognizable as them, but like they're watching, like, are you throwing back four or five drinks at the hotel bar? Because in today's world, right? Someone's going to pull out a phone. Like, oh, I saw DJ drinking at the bar. And look, I have nothing like 
I'll have a glass of wine with the next person. But it's like, again, how you show up like in public, right? Like we always just talk about that when you travel it, the, from the second you leave your house, right? Like how you show up at, at the airport. Oh, I saw Tommy treat, you know, the Delta representative like a jerk and like, it, or, you know, I saw him doing this at the hotel, you know, drinking in the bar and then a coach hears about it. It's like, is that why you're short with me tonight? Is because you're like hungover. So you're hundred percent right. Like good catch there. How you show up. It's not like showing up at the game is table stakes. That's where we all have to show sure. up. What are you doing outside of the game? Cause the game is like 8% of the day, right? Two hours is like 8%. What are you doing? The other 92%. That's, you know, as I look back on my career, like getting calls, right. That's, that's table stakes, man. That was hundred percent table stakes. It's like, what are, what are all the other things? The, communication, the confidence that like, I, that's what I really wish I would have known and uh, worked on and like embracing adversity and having a personal standard. And like, so to me, that's what you mentioned this earlier. And I kind of lost my train of thought of like, you, you know, sometimes people want to get up and they don't, it's like, I think it all comes down to like not having a deep enough why, because if your why is deep enough, like I'm driven to help as many and serve as, as many people as possible, whether it's officials or executives or where I'm speaking, like whether it's coaching or whatever, like if I can help somebody like shorten their learning curve by a year, five, two years, that's a win for me. And then I know by working with DJ and coaching DJ, like the ripple effect he's going to have with, you know, his dad and his wife and and the people at his gym and the people that he's going to speak like selfishly, I was telling someone the other day, like love my clients, but I'm like more excited about like, the ripple effect that they're going to have in their community because that like that's what serves me like that's what I get up that's my 86 like I don't I don't need to like be told like I'm, I need gentle reminders here and there but it's like when something's when you're wise deep enough like you'll figure out the how you'll figure out how to get there you'll figure out what questions to ask like what books to read what podcasts to listen to so I think when not to go off on a tangent but like when you're wise deep enough like the rest of it will take care of itself I have another question here about refereeing. Walk me through the, the scenario of Tommy, you, you blow the whistle and right after you're like, ah, shit, you know what? That probably wasn't the right call. I think I, I think I messed up on that one, but it's already too late. You made the call. We're already on to the next possession. Talk to me about, do you one, do you address that with the coach? Hey, you know, I, I, I did mess that one up. Or do you kind of hold on to that? How do you overcome it when it's, you know, you messed up and how do you get on to the next play? We talked about the release refocus, but is there some sort of a, let the coach know I messed up. Is it let your partner know? Is there some sort of a verbal let's move on because I messed up or do you wait until after the game to even dissect some of that stuff? Yeah. Great question. So, um, again, one of those things like as a younger official, um, I got every call, right. Never missed a call. I was, I was perfect. I don't care what the tape said. I don't care what the coaches said. Like I was perfect. Um, as I evolved as a, as an, as a human and an official, like even the the best officials only get 95% of their, and that's a really high percentage, but there's going to be plays that you miss. So, you know, there would be times I would say probably not going to say it more than once to a coach during a game of like, Hey, I missed it. Right. One of the things I I learned in working with my coach and, and studying like human behavior is like, when you're talking to another person and a coach is irate, right? Like they're emotionally invested in the game and like their, their body language and their, their tone. When you come at somebody who's screaming and, and loud and, and you come at a very calm tone like this, it's human nature to match the person you're talking with. So as a younger official, I would get, get really excited and, and I got that right. And it's like, okay, do you want to be right? Or do you want to get it right? Okay. Very similar, but big distinction. So do you want to be right or do you want to get it right? And so when I switched from wanting to be right to getting it right, you know, I'd go up to a coach, I'd let him vent, right? 
DJ, you're right. I missed it. Like, what can you possibly say at that point when I let you vent? I know I missed the call. 20,000 people in the arena know I missed the call because it's up on the, you know, 125 foot jumbotron and <laughs> HD and slow. Like everybody knows I missed the call. Everyone at home is on their DVRs like, oh, Tommy missed another one. Like everyone knows, right? right. Uh, I'm the only one denying the truth. So just let him finish. And then it's like, DJ, I missed it. I'll do better next time. Like, I don't know what else you can say. Now, again, I'm not able to come to you eight times a game, DJ, I missed that. Like, I better be looking for a new hobby uh, at that standpoint. But yeah, it's just like having the confidence to know like, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying every time down the court to put myself in the best position to get every call right. And coaches, I mean, even the ones that get heated in the moment, like they realize like, okay, like he's a good guy. He talks to me well, like he's not standoffish. He's not going to stand there like this and like yell back. So like most coaches understand like we're human beings, but it, it is, you know, for 40 minutes in the college game or 48 minutes in, in the, like it's an emotional game and it's, there's a lot on the line for, for people. These are their livelihoods from a coaching and player standpoint um, at the next level. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot on the line, but I think when you have that ability and that confidence to tell someone like, Hey, I missed it. Like that can go a long way too. Uh, they know you're not perfect. Like don't, don't try to put a, put a facade on it and act like, Oh, I got it right. Um, you know, there was another thing that <clears throat> a lot of players don't realize. And I, I, I know you talked to, like high school kids and, and, and help leaders there. There's a story that comes to mind. It was one of John Morant's last, uh, I don't know if you're an NBA fan, but yeah, absolutely. He, yeah. Played at Murray state and mm-hmm. got drafted number two by the Grizzlies. And I don't remember what year of the OVC championship game, but it might've been either his, they played it back to back and I had him in both. Anyway, he was doing things and he'd let the environment kind of like get, better of him, right? So he was putting his head down and he was just driving to the rim and expecting us to bail him out. And he started the game, DJ, I think one for, I'd have to go back like one for seven with like three turnovers because he was just putting his head down and throwing up some trash and expecting us to bail him out. And so I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I didn't have this awareness when I was a younger official, but this was like one of my last two years. And we're standing next to each other on a free throw uh, up at the 28 foot mark. And he, he's, he's emotional. He's frustrated, similar to a coach who, you know, and he comes to me like, Mr. Raff. And, and, you know, he said something like, I'm getting fouled every time. And I just let him talk. And I said, Ja, take a breath. He's like, like, how many times do you think an official ever told him just like, take a breath? I was like, hey, just take a breath. I was like, we're not that bad. And you're, you're not that bad either, but we're not going to bail you out. And I said, what do you think is going to happen at the next level? You're not going to go down the lane every single time and just get bailed out. I was like, you're not doing what you're capable of doing. I said, you like Ja, be Ja, Tommy will be Tommy and all the chips will fall out. We'll give the best team the best chance to win. Like at the end of the day, we will be fair in what we do and the best team will win and whoever that is. And it was like, you know, maybe he probably doesn't even remember, but 20 second conversation. He went on to finish like 36 points. He made, he scored like the next 16 because he stopped doing what wasn't natural. I don't, he didn't have the awareness in the moment to know like the first six games, like if he kept on that same trajectory and look, I'm not here to say that that 20 second conversation changed, changed the game for him. But like, I just, I wanted him to be aware, like he was doing something like that was not part of his human nature. Like he was doing, like he was letting the external noise, if you will, every NBA team was there. Like all 30, 30 teams, 32 teams were there. They had a representative, at least one representative there. I mean, he was going to be a top three pick. So he was like letting all this kind of like bubble up. And I'm like, Ja, just, just be Ja. Like I've had you three times this year. You've not done this once. Just you play your game. We'll do ours. 
And at the end of the day, the best team will win. Um, or as Brian would say, the team that plays the best will win. But uh, anyway, uh, so, so that like having the awareness in those micro moments of like slowing someone else down, because I, I, from coaching individuals and, you know, working, like I would say awareness is the number one thing that most people lack. They don't have the self-awareness to catch themselves in the moment to know, hey, things aren't going where they need to be. Everyone has, you know, everyone has hindsight after the game. Do you have the hindsight in the moment to know, hey, this is not where I want it to go? Right. Not that the outcome is going to be different, but you're going to set yourself up for success, like we talked about earlier. So, do you have the awareness in the moment to know, hey, this isn't where it needs to be? So, just having that brief conversation, whether it's with a coach or uh, with a player, of like, hey, man, like the best games are the ones where players play, coaches coach, and referees referee. When we start doing something out of that confine, uh, any three of us, that's when things start to to go south pretty quick. What a great story, man. I like the quote of everything seems like chaos until you can either create or make your own pattern. So to, to me, that's, that's the breath is that's your pattern. Everything is chaotic. The game is out of control until you can make your own pattern. Tommy, that's awesome. The last question here, I've been starting to introduce this into my podcast and I got it from Brian Cates, the million dollar question. Mm-hmm. Tommy, what's something you know now that you wish you knew before starting your referee career? Um, tap into to mindset and mental performance. Like all the stuff I'm doing now, like, you know, everything happens for a reason. So like I, no regrets or, you know, it gets led me to where I am now and I'm, I'm very blessed and grateful, but understanding that, you know, there's only three things you can train your body, skill and craft, right. Um, or I'm sorry, body, craft and mind, uh, Freudian slip there, body, craft and mind. So, you know, getting, eating right, taking care of your body, sleeping, you know, craft, getting plays, right. Studying the rule book, studying the manual, but the mindset piece, the confidence, the awareness, the adversity, having a system in place, like, I would tell any official, like, even like you, like you could tell a great official by the ones that don't blow the whistle, right? And that might seem a little counterintuitive. Like everyone can blow the whistle and call a foul, especially at the NBA level. It's like, when are you not putting air in the whistle? But for me, it would it would be tapping into this, and to your point, like using it as a weapon, like going on the offense, using this as something to um, accelerate um, my career. And then um, number number two, and more of a life, but like developing a personal standard, right? And not negotiating on that. Like even in officiating, but more so like just in life, I think too, too often we just, we react instead of create. And, and they're very similar words, but like, it, are you creating the cert, the, you know, the experience for yourself or are you just reacting, right? And so what are you doing to create things in, in your life and not just waking up and reacting? Like, how are you responding? How are you uh, bouncing back? So to me, it would it, it kind of go hand in hand, but diving into the, the mindset and mental performance aspect and then having a personal standard and, and not, not negotiating that and, and owning that personal standard. That's, on, that's, that's what I wish I knew. Yeah, this is awesome, man. Uh, I'm glad that we connected. Um, you know, we, I could jam with you all day. I feel like we both fly the same flag. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, for those that want to either get in touch with you or learn more from you, follow you, where can I point them? Yeah. Um, so the website's the best place. Uh, thinkbetterperformbetter.com. Uh, I've got some social media. You, you and I were talking earlier. Um, I went 35 years of my life uh, on the court without ever having social media and then you know, starting my own business and doing it. And then I just realized like that's not my jam. Um, so I still have it to uh, show that I'm not just some mythical creature out there. But uh, eventually... Um, next year, you know, working with my coach, 
starting a blog and a newsletter, things like that, that can at least allow people to follow and, and taking things like this, you know, and putting it on the website. But the website's the best place uh, to get in contact with me. And email is Tommy at thinkbetterperformbetter.com. If anyone wants to reach out, I'm happy to happy to chat. Awesome. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, DJ.